0: Gather round, take a seat, relax. It's the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avson, right here on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avson, and it's a privilege to be here with you on this Tuesday. We are two weeks exactly from the shofar blowing from the first day of Rosh Hashanah. We're in the second half of the month of Elul. We are steamrolling ahead into a new year, as usual. Everybody's saying, "Gosh, can you believe how quickly the year went by?" And I'm like, "Really? A year in COVID went by went by quickly." I'm not going to say it went down slow, but like, like do we have to say the same thing we say every year? The year by went by quickly. I don't think it went by quickly, Um and please God, next year does go quicker. That you know that we can go on with our lives in so many areas of our life that have been uh, confined, limited in the last year. We should be able to spread forth, to be able to leap forward. And I could tell you one resolution that I'm going to work on. I am somewhat worried that I won't be able to pull through with it, but it's something that uh, maybe if I make it you know, public, <laughs> say it on the radio, um then I'll I'll implement it. Who knows? So it goes like this. I want my coming year to be full of more joy. Simcha. Joy. Now, everyone talks about this word joy. You rarely meet people who actually live with joy, at least the way we imagine joy to be. You know, most people, when they think of joy or happiness, they think of people dancing at a pub at three in the morning, which you can't because of, obviously, curfew. Um, but obviously that 's not the Jewish version of joy at three o'clock. You should be sleeping <laughs> or waking up for Shaharit, even though you can't wake up that early. Joy is the ability to believe that Hashem is walking with you through every step and you're in comfortable hands, and you can fall back because the hands are holding you. I was listening earlier today to an interesting lecture from a professor at Harvard and his argument was that the reason so many people struggle with their mental health these days you could agree or disagree but I thought it was an insightful comment he says because life is more complex than ever and complexity overwhelms us when you have a lot of things going on it's like a computer that has 20 windows open And unless you have a super powerful computer, your computer starts causing issues. So you're on Zoom and you're on YouTube and you're on three documents (coughs) and four other things going on on your phone, on your your computer. And if you don't have the strongest computer, it's going to start slowing down. It's going to start freezing. It's going to ask you to restart. Why? Because it's an overwhelming amount of data and it's the processing system is not strong enough. To process that much at the same time and often in our lives we have a lot to process and we either haven't developed the capacity discovered it within and we get overwhelmed and that causes a lot of the you know anxiety and other symptoms and that resonated with me it resonated with this idea that the reason why there is so much mental struggle now, you know, always the argument, was there as much in previous generations or not? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist and I haven't done my research. But I, I believe that although mental illness and, you know, mental struggle and emotional struggle has always been here, I definitely think that our times is seeing a, a huge growth in it. And I'm sure there's millions of factors. I think the biggest factor is the complexity of life. You know, when life is so much going on, so many things open on our internal phone, so many apps, so much chaos, so many worries, it becomes overwhelming. And unless we have a solid processing system, a way of making sense of it all, or not sense, but at least living with the discomfort, it overwhelms us and it causes issues. Now, yeah, there's a lot going on, you know. Do do I have to tell you unless you've been living in a cave? It's a complicated world. And each day you wake up and you have no idea what's going to be that day. And due to Twitter and social media, you know, sharing information, I'm talking about the true information. I'm not even talking about the fake news element. You're bombarded with knowledge all the time. You're getting new information, new information, another scare. Afghanistan and you're getting pictures and you're, and you're seeing it and your heart's breaking and you see what's going on all around the world and you're following COVID in 180 different countries and you're looking at the stats every single day and you're, you're on multiple Tehillim groups and it can become overwhelming. I don't think it only can. I think it is becoming overwhelming for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who've reached out to me and said for the first time in their life, they're going to therapy now. First time in their life, they're going to psychiatrists and just trying to get some medication to help them cope with their anxiety, depression, etc. Why? Because it's, it's, it's a lot. So what I want to explore today, it's in, you know, it's something that I'm working through myself. I don't claim to have it all figured out. You know, I love these books that come out where these people come and say, if only you follow my advice, your marriage, your business, your parenting will be perfect. It's, it's a good way to sell books, but it's, it's fraudulent. There's no one model to life and there's multiple depth. And as we evolve as human beings in our, you know, in our, li- our own lifetime, we see the world differently. None of us see the world the same the way we saw the world two years ago. Or even the way we saw a year ago. So ideas and perspectives evolve. But from, from, you know, where we're at now, I ask myself, where's joy? What is joy? What does joy look like? And why is it so important as we go into the new year in two weeks time that we embrace joy? So I want to play a song for you in just a moment. It's a song in Yiddish and it's in, uh, with an Hungarian accent. So I'm not sure how many will understand. Um, but it's, it, its feeling comes through. But the basic idea behind the song, it's a story about a certain water carrier who's struggling to carry the water all around town in the, in the old city of Bialystok. And he comes to the sage in the town. He says, I need someone to help me carry. It's getting too much for me. So the sage says, "I want you to go find Rab Simcha, Rabbi Simcha and get him, you know, get him along the journey." So he runs around town looking for Rabbi Simcha. And the only find Rabbi Simcha he finds is a cripple uh, who won't be able to help him carry the water. And he's running around screaming, "Rabbi Simcha, Rab Simcha, who are you? Where are you?" There's no one to be found. So he comes back to the sage and says, "There's no such a thing as Rabbi Simcha." And the fellow, you know, smiles at him and says, I wasn't talking about Rabbi Simcha the person. I was talking about the attribute of Simcha, the attribute of joy, the characteristic of joy. But instead of just seeing it as a characteristic, I'm defining it as a person. In other words, it's a full-on entity within you. Can you make partnership with your own Simcha, with Rabbi Simcha? And can you live with Rabbi Simcha and, and, and see how much he loves you and how much... Your life will be liberated when you embrace Simcha. It's 101.9 High FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM and my name is Rabbi Levi Afton. and we were just listening to a beautiful song called Reb Simcha. Again, all about the joy and the energy that we need for this coming year. Let's continue exploring or actually begin exploring this idea. How could one find joy when life is... It's something that, personally, I'm finding one of the greatest struggles of our time. It's heavy. As one person, you know, put it, he says, we've all been through a war-like situation and our trauma is very similar to war. And whether it's, you know, 100% that way or 80% that way or 50% that way, there's no question that... We're not the same people we were 18 months ago, hopefully not only for the worse. It's changed the way we see the world. For many of us, it's, it's made us more cynical, more despondent, more cynical about the future, more worried about where things will go from here. So all this does together is, seems to be the arch enemy of joy. When I'm overwhelmed, there's no room for joy, right? So, this is where I believe going into our story, going into where we come from and taking inspiration from people who went through difficult times and lived through it and, and found joy within it is so important. For me, that's personally like a big drive of my genealogy obsession. Um, because just understanding where you come from, understanding the incredible strength and humanity and complexity of the people that, you know, whose DNA you share and whose traditions you hold dear. And it gives such incredible, it gives such incredible strength. It gives such incredible, it has such a calming effect. It really does. You know, when God talks to the Jewish people and he really says, I want you to serve with joy, he wasn't talking to a perfect people. He was talking to a... It's actually in this week's Parsha, where God says, like, you know, I expect you to serve me with joy. And various, you know, consequences that happen when you don't serve from joy. But that's not the point. The point is how he's demanding joy. But remember, this is a generation that has been 40 years in the desert, have watched all their fathers die, because all men, when they hit 60, died as atonement for the sin of the golden calf. They've had multiple wars. Many of them grew up in Egypt. and remember the trauma from there. Their their leader was about to die, Moshe, and they were going to go and transition to a new leadership of his student, Joshua they were now going to become free people in their own land. It was a very fragile time. God never, you know, it wasn't coming to a group of people who were sitting on a beautiful beach in Mauritius and telling them, Ma, people, listen closely. Life is so good. As you're sitting there on the beach, taking in the sun with the coolest sunglasses to available, and you know, making sure that you're f- proud of yourself and proud of your body, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. as you're sitting there feeling like a million bucks, be joy. Nah, first of all, that's not joy. That's just pleasure. And joy and pleasure don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. They can, but they, that's, they're not. You know, that they could be mutually exclusive. He was coming to a people who were struggling, a people who were nervous. So much so that at the end of this week's Pasha, just after God's talking to the Jewish people about joy, Moshe sees that the Jewish people are very you know shaky after all the you know the opposite of blessings, the curses that were said in this week's parsha, what will happen if they don't behave, etc.? They were fragile, and Moshe says, Look, at in next week's Pasha, which is a follow up, Atemnitzavima Yom, look, you're standing today. You're solid. As Rashi explains, you're literally standing here as a miraculous proof of your tenacity. Look what you've been through and the fact that you're still standing. In other words, they were in a fragile state and God comes and says, joy. You know, often people quote Rabbi Nachman of Breslev um, who said it's a big mitzvah to be joyous. You know, And Rabbi Nachman himself didn't have an easy life. He died in his 30s or early 40s. I stand to be corrected. And he had lots of challenges in his life. The teachings of joy from across the state, you know, from across the platform. If it's Maimonides who in his book Mishnah Torah discusses how important it is to serve you know, Hashem with joy. And he lost so much. His whole life was, was moving from place to place, running away from persecution. He lost some of his most beloved family members at, at young ages. He struggled. He was, he was, His life was packed with so much going on. And he's coming and saying, serve God with joy. Again, the point I'm bringing from all these proofs, and I could go on and on, is joy was never said to us when we are flying high. It's not a commandment that says that when life is good, feel joyous. Yeah, when life is good, you should be grateful. But the mitzvah of joy is dafka. When when we're overwhelmed. dafka when we're struggling. Dafka when we're trying to make sense of it all. That's when joy comes in. So what is joy in this context? What does joy mean when you're just getting bombarded all day, every day? So the first baseline is, God is in control. I remember someone one time told me an expression. He says, Levi, shrug and let the world fall off your shoulder. You're carrying way too much on your shoulder. Just, you know, just shrug. In other words, many of us feel like the imperfections of the world are on our shoulder. Now those imperfections you could do something about are on your shoulder, but 99.9% of the issues in this world, you and I will not fix. I can't fix other people, I can only fix myself, and even that's a struggle. I could bring a few, I could try to fix a few things in society, but the Pompousness of thinking that I could solve 7 billion people's problem is is, is patronizing at, at, at best. And it's it, it, it makes us forget we weren't born into a perfect world. Please God, when Mashiach comes, it will be perfect. We weren't born into a perfect world. What we were born in was to a very complicated world with a lot of beauty and a lot of challenges and Hashem comes and says and now I need you to play your small part. I don't need you to fix the universe. I've spoken about it in the past. Like I, I feel the narrative that we live in our time, and we often use words like tikkun olam, fix the world, which obviously you know comes from a holy source, but we we misinterpret it to think that each and every one of us is here to change the world. So that's why I believe. That sits at the heart of so many radicals doing so many radical things because everyone thinks it's their job to fix the world. And obviously, I'm going to fix the world based on my radical, um single-minded, lack of nuanced ideas. Come on, that doesn't work. It's not the plan. Life is a balance. On the one hand, it's about empowerment and saying, Levy, you could do it. You have a... you you were given by Hashem, like every other human being, challenges and gifts, learn how to work through your challenges, learn how to activate your gifts, and and play your part. True. But on the other hand, don't think I put you into this world to solve the whole universe. Why? Because then it's overwhelming, and then it actually is disabling. And it's not your job. None of us are here to solve the world. As a collective, we can fix the world. But when every radical, every person with a new idea has to no go teach the whole world their idea and convince, you know, after 200 years with really, really bad ideas that millions of people bought into, from communism to Nazism to socialism to uh, even capitalism without empathy and other ideas not only about how to govern, but ideas of, of religion at times, ideas of identity, of how to see ourselves in this world. After 200 years of bad ideas and with a lot of people pushing and punting them, it's time to take a break and sit there saying, no, 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 I'm here to play my part, lady. Get your boat in order, get your life together and the few people that you can engage with, the few people that you're here to impact Don't look at those people who influence millions or hundreds of millions and decide that their life is more valuable than yours. They're not. First of all, you know, who says they're influencing them well? And second of all, who says God counts things by quantity? Maybe he counts it by quality. So the one person whose life you've enriched, maybe in Hashem's eyes, it's more valuable than changing the life of thousands or tens of thousands, or millions? We don't know. And that's, for me, the, the part where we slip so often is, we say we believe in God, but we're not sure. I'm saying we as an I. We don't integrate that into real life. In other words, saying, okay, what's the implications of my faith? I believe. Mazeltov, What's the implications of it? If I believe in God, then what? Okay, so I have someone to cry to. Fine. I have someone to be grateful to. Fine. What else? I have to follow his commandments. What else? And one of the big implications is, it's his world. And he has a plan that's much bigger than each and every one of us. And yes, we ask and we pray for a good life, but we understand that ultimately he makes the call and he knows the bigger picture that we don't understand and might never understand. But that's what it means to believe in God. And the truth is, whether you believe in God or not, it it kind of reaches the same conclusion. Because if you believe everything in this world is random, so there's nothing you could do about it, might as well just go with the flow, because there's absolutely nothing you could do. And believing in God, again, there's nothing you could do, but simply because God's in control. So obviously it's a much healthier, in my perspective, uh, approach. But ultimately, whatever... Theological approach you have to this world at some stage you have to embrace this world is complex as a believer you believe because God has a purpose and as a non-believer whatever because yeah. the, the world is random and it's anyways chaotic I mean the whole world came together in a random way so how could there be meaning to anything so joy comes from embracing the fact that I am not in control who's in control? Hashem. That's a relief. There's someone much smarter than me, much bigger than me, who knows what they're doing. And this idea is so is something we have to remind ourselves every single day. Every single day. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM, my name is Rabbi Levi-Afton, and we're talking about joy, something that we can all all use in our life, that that sits at the heart, at the baseline of knowledge, that God's in control. You know, in two weeks is Rosh Hashanah, we're crowning God as our king. What does it mean that he's our king? So many people make it very personal, and they'll say, okay, God's going to decide if I live or die, if I'm going to have money or not. Um if I'm gonna have Nachas or not in the coming year. That's, that's true. But Rosh Hashanah is much bigger than that, on multiple reasons. But in the context of what we're talking about, Rosh Hashanah is when we remember, God, it's your world. It's your world. You, you created it. You know it. You have a plan for it. And yes, we ask Hashem, please make our part of the plan pleasurable and for other people. Easy. But we also know that there's no such a thing until Mashiach comes of an easy life. Everything comes with a consequence and we're in a, we're in a complicated world and each and every one of us struggles at times to find our grounding. Fine. Can we live with the knowledge that it's God's world? And that's so much of the prayers on Rosh Hashanah, especially when you go into the Musa prayer, the Musa prayer of Malchiyot, Zichronot, and Shofarot, the longest Amidah of the year, an extensive prayer full of multiple statements and quotes from verses about how it's God's world. It's only when we start with that that we can actually find some sense of groundingness in a world that seems to bombard us and unsettle us. It puts us back into this world. It grounds us. Another thing that's really important is community. You know, in the last 18 months, we've, we've forgotten many of us. The role of community. So, community for many people now means a hot meal when you lose a loved one, uh, empathetic phone call or message when you're in the hospital, when your loved one is. But, community does that. But at the heart of community is the idea that it's not an individual, it's all of us. And I think, you know, one of, a person in the community reached out to me after I gave, uh, shared a message. About belonging to a community and being part of something bigger, that it's become comfortable for many people to be alone. In other words, you you pick your own company, and it's truth. Listen, you know, we all have certain people that trigger us and don't necessarily bring out the best of us, or we don't bring out the best of them. Whatever, it's not it's not an harmonious, natural energy. But we were not created to be. Saltitude. The Hasidic masters always quoted a much earlier master. They said it was a chachom Kadmin, uh, a sage from the early, much earlier times, who says, It's good to be alone amongst people. In other words, yes, you have to find your own space, but not at the exclusion of others. Find your own space within a shul. Find your own space within community. And now we are in COVID times. Yes, but now we've also had, we're having a small window, at least those who are vaccinated. We don't know what the future holds. I'm not a prophet, but here's what I do know, that the vaccine definitely at the beginning and hopefully for longer on works. Do we have to be on guard, of course? But we should be grabbing the opportunity we have now with two hands, and whatever is legal from from the government perspective, or what's endorsed by the community, we should do it. We should squeeze out of life what we can, and and reengage with each other. I spent some time with people, obviously socially distanced, etc., and I cannot tell you how how uplifting it is. Simply belonging, simply, you know, engaging with others, seeing their struggles, having empathy, being heard by somebody, hearing somebody else. Those are some of the big challenges, some of the big lacks that we don't have in today's day, you know, in today's time. And now that we've been given a small window and yet so many people are saying, no, I'm still scared. I get it. So be cautious. But don't be so scared in a way that you're now disabling your life if you're out to. There's a great story I heard I I, I don't know the source of it but the point is so powerful There was a great sage in the 15th or 16th century the Ralbag, I believe and in his responsa he has a question that one time came to him Someone reached out to the rabbi and said he was arrested and he's in prison and somewhere in Europe And he's going to be in prison for a long time. And the prison guards, or the prison authorities, gave him the opportunity of one day of freedom. He could get a full 24 hours of freedom, but then he has to come back. So his question to the sage was, when should I take that time? Now you might think the sage answered Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, your child's wedding, Purim, the first night of Pesach, listen to this. He he responds in his letter and he says, the first moment you have an opportunity for freedom, grab it. It doesn't have to be a special day, it doesn't have to be Rosh Hashanah, it doesn't have to be Yom Kippur, it doesn't have to be... If you were given the gift, you know, as being a, per- a person that's locked up, you're given the gift of freedom, run! Run! Get it, grab the opportunity, and get to live free. And this is something that I believe in our time we have to take it within the law, and within all the COVID protocols and all the safety measures. We have to be desperate to live again, to 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 get back whatever we could. I think we've become so so used to being fearful and for a long time justifiably so at least somewhat from the pandemic that unfortunately many of us are struggling to sit there saying okay now that I'm vaccinated and with masks and with social distancing I'm pretty much okay so can I grab the opportunity will there be a fourth wave I don't know but now you're given a small opportunity to come to Shola Rosh Hashanah you're given an opportunity to go have a coffee with friends, obviously with the correct protocol. Grab it! Grab it! We've been in jail for 18 months. You're given a moment of freedom. Grab it! This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Coming to the end of the show. It's late-night shopping till 8 on Wednesday, the 25th, at the Selwyn Siegel Yom Tov Shop. You can bring sweetness to the lives of others by sending a stunning gift from their beautiful range. Pop into the shop. They would love to see you. Call them on 011-640-7173 or shop online at selwynsegelgifts.coza. Help the Selwyn Siegel to make a difference in the lives of their amazing residents. I want to end the show with a beautiful song. Um it's a song that I learned, you know, in my teens, and the, there was this person who was very passionate about sharing this song. It's a song in Hebrew, and it's based on a, I guess a poem that was actually written by the Six Lababacher Rebbe during the war years. It's a, it's a, it's a request for better times, a request for the Mashiach promise, but it's a beautiful poem. And at that time, during World War II, a, a refugee from Lithuania from Poland who was in Shanghai at the time because many Jews managed to get you know through Sugihara they managed to get to Shanghai which was under Japanese rule and they created a life for themselves a very difficult challenging life but a life nevertheless and one of the students over there during World War II read this poem and gave a tune to it and it was recently recorded professionally and it's just magnificent And I thought I'll share it. God, let us live to the time of Mashiach. Let us merit better times. Please, God, free times, healthy times for all. Have a great day.